we're halfway through the outstanding discography of PJ Harvey. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, which took us from her debut Dry, all the way through to 1998's Is This Desire, we strongly recommend that you go back and start there. Listening to entire discographies, you find many artists have peaks and troughs, or start strong and then slowly fade away after one truly momentous album, managing to release only the occasional good tune thereafter. That is emphatically not the case today, as we turn our headphones towards a musician who has remained remarkably consistent throughout her career, whilst seldom ever repeating herself. If you don't like PJ Harvey, frankly I'm at a loss, but we must have covered a band you like by now. Just head over to infrequency.co.uk for an archive of all our past episodes, along with a bunch of other music podcasts with the emphasis firmly on exploration and discovery. We started doing this as a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans in 2016, and we crashed onto the podcast scene in 2020. If you like to explore music with other open-minded listeners, we're the place for you. And if you want to hear the show with tunes, and honestly, why wouldn't you? Subscribe at mixcloud.com slash tempfans. You'll be supporting this show and the artists, which we feel is exactly how it should be. But enough of my boring preamble. Grab yourself a drink and get ready for the second part of our deep dive into the albums of one of my very favorite artists, P.J. Harvey. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms, uh, part two of our look through the discography of P.J. Harvey. I am Ewan. I'm Nick. And we are also joined by... Cherie, hello. She did not know I was doing that. I feel, I feel slightly... Uh, I feel, yeah. uh, anyway, so there's me, there's Nick, there's Cherie. And if this is the first one you're listening to, then stop what you're doing because there's part one and part one's great. Um, find everything on uh, infrequency.co.uk or mixcloud.com slash tempfans where you can also support the show for a couple of euros a month and get exclusive versions that contain all the songs in their entirety legally and money goes to artists. It's almost like the opposite of Spotify. Um, Okay, we are going to hand you over um, to, well, the first voice you're going to hear after this will be Cherie talking you through, well, PJ Harvey's, I guess, Millennium album. See you in a bit. Possibly Polly Jean Harvey's most successful album to date. But Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea isn't in fact her favourite. She since claimed it left her feeling unsatisfied. But what she might have found disagreeable, the rest of the music industry was clamouring to celebrate. Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea and Polly Jean Harvey, her first Mercury Prize. A return to anthemic rock with pop aspirations and an unlikely twist. For the first time, PJ Harvey was singing about love and sex with wholehearted satisfaction. The songwriter recorded stories from the city after spending months in New York in some kind of mad euphoric relationship. Harvey notoriously keeps her personal life quiet, but the rumour has always been that the dizziest love songs on stories from the city are about Vincent Gallo. But where a lot deemed this a peppier pop record, It's still heavy, merciless music. It came two years after Is This Desire, an LP of icy soundscapes and doomed romantic poetry. And against such a brooding backdrop, of course, Stories from the City is a bright album in comparison. 
co-produced alongside bandmates Rob Ellis and Mick Harvey, no relation. Harvey recorded stories from the city at a 17th century English mansion that she'd converted into a studio and brought none other than Tom York in to sing on three songs, most notably The Mess We're In, where she gives up vocal duties to York entirely. It was around this time he was leaving behind the razor blade guitars of Radiohead and instead exploring his own splintered soundscapes. The album earned Harvey two Grammy nominations as well, in the rock category, not in the nebulous alternative zone. She ultimately lost out to U2 and Lucinda Williams though, but is still pretty good company to keep. The day that Harvey won that first Mercury Prize happened to be September the 11th, 2001. Harvey had been gone from New York for more than a year at that point, but New York was still inscribed onto the album. In the fall of 2001, Harvey was touring America. The day she won the award, she was in Washington, D.C., and she saw the wreckage of the Pentagon from her hotel room window. Harvey phoned into the Mercury Prize ceremony and sounded utterly shell-shocked. With stories from the city, stories from the sea, worlds changed in ways both normal and not. Throughout her career, PJ Harvey has swung between making albums whose greatness was indisputable, a debut dry, 2000s Mercury Prize winning stories from the city, stories from the sea among them, and albums most people would prefer to admire from a discreet distance, preferably out of earshot. For a lot of mainstream critics, Ah Ha Ha was more likely to fall somewhere in the middle. Many were anxiously awaiting to see whether the known shapeshifter would present another road to slickness, like that of her award-winning previous release, or expose the raw nerves that forged together to form her enigmatic earlier recordings. The answer appeared in Ah Ha Ha, which was ultimately a bit of both. There's an element of dirge to this record that fans who are disappointed by the mainstream sheen of stories will revel in, but it's nowhere near as raw as earlier aggressors dry and rid of me. So much so, the opener, the life and death of Mr. Badmouth, and upcoming Cat on the Wall almost feel like they're a continuation of stories from the city. But one of the key differences that sets this record apart, and perhaps acts as a bit of a diving board into future unknown territories, is Harvey reinstating her autonomy again after a hugely commercial mainstream moment like the Mercury. Recorded and produced over a two-year period, Ah Ha is self-produced and saw Polly Jean Harvey picking up all the instruments aside from the final drum tracks. But while the delivery might have shifted somewhere, the discourse remains similar with a beating heart about dysfunctional love, which from all indications had again turned bad for her. Stand out who the fuck places her in the welcome scenario of a vicious diatribe against her hairdresser <laughs> you come through is a beautiful understated number and brings back the brooding blues of former guises notably as this desire while the slow drug finds her tapping into a more hypnotic electronic soundscape that tom york would be proud of oddly for such a hardcore distortion fan it's actually some of the more traditional folk fused efforts that stand out for me here tambourine timed the pocket knife as polly sinisterly states my pocket knife has a shiny blade, and Shane, which often clawed at by the critics, delivers the intimacy and heart-shattering vocals of early dry demos as she posits, Shane is the shadow of love. 
To support the release, Harvey toured for about eight months, performing across European festivals, including Glasgow, and opened for Morrissey on a few dates, possibly something she might now regret. For all its mixed reception, this record actually became Harvey's highest charting album to date in the US, peaking at number 29 in the Billboard 200. But although it charted higher than Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, in many territories, uh uh her failed to achieve its predecessor's chart longevity and crossover interest. Hypnotising and by no means an embarrassment, though, it would be a shame to pass this one by. Trust me. Never want to do the expected thing. Harvey followed the success of Stories from the City and Aha Her with an extremely unsettling work of gothic horror, 2007's White Chalk. Two things in particular mark it out from its predecessors. Firstly, she decided to write and perform the songs mostly on piano, an instrument she'd never previously played. And secondly, she started singing in a much higher register than on any previous album. The results are equal parts terrifying and beautiful. Many of these songs speak of loneliness and yearning, with lyrics that point towards her future incarnation as a poet. As soon as I'm left alone, she sings on the opening track. The devil wanders into my soul. On silence, she sings. I freed myself from family. I freed myself from work. I freed myself and remained alone. The title track, one of the album's easier listens, I have to say, points the way to Let England Shake, where she engages with the romanticism of her Dorset home, but not without imagery of hands bloodied by gorse. I saw a tour this album, performing completely solo at Bristol's Colston Hall, since renamed Bristol Beacon in 2020 following the Black Lives Matter protests. Given the size of the venue, it seemed like an intimate gig, with Harvey playing to her home crowd, and these occasionally chilling songs came across with surprising warmth as did some of the more fragile songs from her earlier album, Is This Desire. If PJ Harvey can be described as an outlier, then White Chalk is the outlier's outlier, a collection of heartbreaking songs of loneliness and regret that can be quite difficult to digest taken all in one go. However, if any one of these songs appeared on another album, people would point to them as standout tracks. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, and yeah, 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 PJ Harvey, blah, 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 blah. So, um, Cherie, yes. last time we left um, Holly Jean Harvey, it, she was experimenting with trip hop. Um, we, the record company would probably have been happy if she'd mm-hmm. stayed, but if she disappeared, they, they probably wouldn't have, have cared too much. Um, she was a stalwart of the 90s. Um, what, did, what, what changed? Did she come back more experimental? She did not. Uh, but the record company were probably very happy about that. Um, she didn't go into a shed in her garden, kind of Tom Waits style. She, um, she went very big. And uh, I thought it was interesting when I was reading up about the record, because obviously you have your own perceptions and um, feelings towards an album. But I hadn't realized that she didn't, she didn't really feel that satisfied about Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, despite it probably being her most successful album. Um, and I think it, it would have possibly brought a lot of new people in as well. Um, because, yeah, as I said in the intro, she did finally snatch that Mercury Prize for this record. 
Um, but it is a notable, certainly in terms of production, it's very different. Um, songwriting, it's very different. I think a lot of it's the, more commercial, right? Yeah, mm. I mean, it's, it's definitely a more it's commercial, accessible right? for sure. Yeah, yeah. there's proper yeah, melodies, yeah. there's proper hooks. Um, it's also interesting, and I and I hate to make this comparison, but when I was reading about it, you know, she's very much in love in this record, and um, a lot of the other ones are a lot darker, a lot more gothic subtext. And they're obviously going through maybe breakups or past issues. Um, whereas this one, she's in like the dizziest heights of living in New York and she's with Vincent Gallo. And yeah, it, it positions it in quite a different space. It's, but but at the same time, you know, she wasn't averse to talking about sex previously in her records. Um, she tackled that before, but it's just quite up, you know, even the fact that she you know, is this love? It's very, it's the first time you sort of hear her singing in that manner, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, am I going crazy? Tom York did a few he did. guest yeah. appearances on the Star Wars tracks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there you've got, you've got two massive, two artists who yeah. are peaking at, in, in the year 2000. This was Kid A Radiohead, which is best Radiohead. This is, this is probably the most accessible, probably the most successful. It's the first Mercury winning um, album of, of yeah. Polly's career, co co combining in a sort of dream team. Yeah, I guess. Um, before I hand over to you, Nick, um, Pitchfork Watch, Pitchfork Watch, <laughs> um, Pitchfork originally. What did Pitchfork originally? Oh, this give, is your one. This is this. your one that you said that they went back. Okay, oh. go on, go on. What was wow. the original score out of ten? I remember they do decimal points because they're pretentious as fuck. Um, what did they give um, this album when it, on its release? They have since come back and said we'd have actually given it this five okay so i'm going 4.2 oh yeah 5.2 oh, oh okay no 5.4 5. oh 4. damn i was sort of feeling good i got the decimal place right at least <laughs> they said they said it was sort of glossy arena rock yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah 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 uh blah -huh. and now they've, they've, they've come back and realized that they're idiots they go no actually we'd have given it uh 8.4 uh, of course we would of course we would um wow but that's quite a big jump eight point i'm trying to work out why mm whether it fits what was happening in the music in this, what was happening in the music scene at that time but it seems to the fit the fallow period wasn't it 2000 yeah. it was for me I, I, I just, yeah yeah mm. Radiohead Kid A was 2000 well I was going to say Ewan on your point that it's interesting because at this point she does team up with Tom York notably on the record but then elsewhere she's um, she has a guest appearance with Queens of the Stone Age on desert on their desert session. Yeah, was that around this time? I yeah, that was. and then coming oh, okay. into Aha uh, Ha, she's with Marianne Faithful and Mark Lanigan. She she appears on their records, so it's quite like big names. She's definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's arrived. That's it. Getting out there and and more people want to collaborate with her, and massive people mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. as well. But I think I had in the intro that she was up again. Did she lose out to you yeah, two at the Grammys? So that that about the Grammys. Of, um, but in terms of the landscape, like that, yes, yeah, okay. that's as you say, it's like early noughties. We're looking at big stadium, which is maybe where well, the first Pitchfork review came from. Well, what? For me, and I've just I've just had a quick look to see on the Mercury sort of things. Um, the 2000, 2001, because she won in 2001. This was the era of Coldplay, Ooh. Doves, Elbow, um, Radiohead's Kid A and Amnesiac, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. No this, wonder this, it sounded so good. Yeah. Yeah, that was this era. Um, yeah. Even even on the dance music scene, it was like, I left field and basement jacks. Right. You know, Goldfrap was coming through. I mean, she beat Goldfrap 
Okay. In 2001. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um it's 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 that period of okay. um comf- comfortable rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I I guess that might have even been the Pittsburgh thing. Pittsburgh might go, mm. oh god, yeah, another person making a sort of 2000 more commercially more accessible album. I mean, I remember the music video um oh, what was the what was the one where she swings around the post? Um I am now opening up my thing to have a look at my notes. Uh, and it was Good Fortune. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah singles were Good Fortune and Good This fortune Is Love. Was, Good Fortune was everywhere for a while. And I, that when I went, oh, yeah, PJ Harvey. I, I forgot about PJ Harvey. Yeah, I listened to this album. That's really good. And obviously, Is This Love is a... It's, there are some tracks in indie, alternative, whatever history, that I would use the word um, unimpeachable. Um, Dinosaur Jr., Freak Scene, uh, mm-hmm. Pixies, Where Is My Mind? Yeah. Is this love, PJ Harvey? Yeah, sorry. If you've got something bad to say about it, then you're wrong. You're just I, wrong. I completely yeah. agree, though. Like, yeah. And she's just so forthright. Like, I just want to sit here and watch you undress. It's such a good line. Like, oh, it's so great. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there are um, bands that we all like and they get to a certain point and they get an award and they get big. And then, you you know, I just went to see Mitski a couple of weeks ago and it was such a weird experience because everyone was there for the most recent records that are very electronic, but so mainstream. And I hate to use that word, but it's true. Whereas I'm kind of hoping she's going to play the early albums where with this, I don't mind. I don't care. I'm like, yeah. welcome. Thank goodness you found her. She's been here all along. She's brilliant. And this is just such a perfect record. So I kind of, the, the wards are necessary and also it hasn't for me it hasn't tainted the sound either yeah it's also it's also quite interesting when an artist is about eight years in yeah. to a career you know five albums in already um to near universal acclaim yeah to then to then have a yes. a big a big chart success and prize winning success mm-hmm. rather than just oh they're either fully formed or yeah, they've been around for 30 years yeah, mm. yeah. I guess for a lot um, of people hearing this, it was maybe a bit like, you know, that was the first time they heard her and then they went back and found the other so. stuff. So it was almost like she was a new artist for a lot of people who just yeah. happened to have a bunch of other albums she'd done that nobody really cared about before. Or from, you know, perception. Totally. And if you've listened um, to this and then you go to Rid of Me, my work, you'll just be elated. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. This got this was platinum in the UK. I know, oh, uh, although wow. it only reached number 23, which... Which, which seems weird, but yeah. sold a million copies worldwide. Wow. Um, and yeah, he said, <laughs> received critical acclaim from music critics, um, apart from, apart from Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, Rolling Stone, best album of a career, Enemy, wow. Magnificent, Life Affirming, Opus, blah, blah, Gosh. blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody <laughs> um, thought it was one of the best thing. And yeah, nominations for the Brits, nominations for the Grammys. Yeah. Um, and I think um, Q Magazine named it the, oh, this is a, you, hey, do you want a patronizing um, list? Um, greatest album of all time by a female artist. <laughs> Q Magazine. <laughs> Thanks, Q. <laughs> One for the ladies. Which <laughs> <laughs> is <just> so weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So we've already, we, we've already mentioned it. So let's move on to it. Um, uh, huh, huh. Um, 
I found is, that difficult um, in the intros as well. Yeah. It is, isn't it? I mean, uh-huh. when you see it written, it's beautiful. Yeah. Can I just uh-huh. say, though, like, when I first heard the name of the album, it was on the John Peel show. And that, to this day, whenever I read the title of the album, I hear it in John in Peel's voice. voice. I'm going to say I say it in John Peel's voice because I can't do it. Oh, that's so but, nice. <laughs> but I just remember him saying, and, you know, that was 2004, which yeah. is the year he died. So, oh, it, you know, he wow. must have, it, it can't have been... I think before. he'd like that, that you still hear him saying that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that I hear in his voice, yeah, but the, particularly lovely. the albums I remember hearing him talk about. Yeah. And the way he would re- relish an album with a weird title. Yeah. You know, he'd, he'd sort of labour over it and, and enjoy the... Um, a, a weird thing about John Peel that a lot of people don't remember unless they were around at the time. If you were at, say, the Reading Festival in 91 and 92, on a Saturday afternoon, John Peel read out the football results over the tannoy. No, he didn't. Did he? I was I was there at a fa- it was either night one or night That's two. So and John cool. Peel had been like he was like technically a bit he was sort of occasionally reading stuff stuff like that. And then he read out the football results. Oh. Manchester United, so and so, Sheffield Wednesday, so and so. It was it was weird. <laughs> oh, that's such a good like Venn diagram though. I feel like that yeah, probably yeah. pleased a lot of people. <laughs> ah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um all right, so what year are we at? So this is 2004, um, and I absolutely love this album oh, much more than Stories from the City. I'm so um, glad to hear you say that, Mick, because I feel because, like it's got a really bad reception. Yeah, I don't know that it doesn't seem to be talked. I suppose because yeah. of the albums around it, there are so many very big PJ Harvey albums around yes. this time. But I think because Stories from the City, I, I really like it, but yeah. I think it's because it's so polished. Yes. it for, sort of it loses something for me about what I love about PJ Harvey, which is the, sort of the a slightly rawer edge, mm-hmm. the, the yeah, the sort of unfinished, rough quality. So, was she? Her best was stuff. she sort of? Do you think she was pulling back from this this big, shiny, glossy, well-produced success to some a sort of earlier stripped-back sound? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it felt, it felt a bit like that to me. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and she she's always adamant that she doesn't want to repeat herself. Yeah. I mean, maybe on this album, I don't think she does anything particularly new. It does feel a little bit like possibly a step backwards, but coming from the point of view as a fan, I was very happy with it. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I remember first hearing it on John Peel around 2004. It's the same sort of time as the fall of just released Country on the Click. So it was like my favorite bands were suddenly seem to be back and yeah. doing the things I loved in the way I love them, you know, because the fall is also the last few years been going through a period where you thought well they're probably losing significance now they're, mm. they haven't done a good album for a bit and then suddenly they came out with this great album at the same time not quite the same trajectory with PJ Harvey because obviously she just had this massive album but yeah this this was great yeah. I found it I really enjoyed it and I mean my next comment in a, in, it, not in a negative way it, stylistically it was not that consistent in, I couldn't no place mm-hmm. what she was doing it was changing all over the place whether it was deliberate whether it's not i don't know but other albums you go oh this is this album this is the triple yeah. album yeah. this is the certainly album. certainly this century as all the albums that she brought out i think have a very distinct style and character yes. you can sort of see on this album she's doing this and yeah her maybe feels a bit more like a sort of mixed bag of you know b-sides and rarities kind it of album because i feel like there's that vibe. that's it there's so much of like um previous records it's almost an amalgamation of everything she's sort of explored so far which i again same as you nick like i was elated by i, I wanted I read that Shane got a really bad review i think it was in the guardian and i just love mm. that so and i don't normally choose 
sort of slow tracks. But I just think it's beautiful and like the letter and there's so much yeah. in there that I like that kind of crosses over from things that you know from before, but is kind of positioned in a different way. Um, and to your point, Ewan, I think she, this is self-produced by Polly. So yeah. she's kind of taken that step back from producing something or working with producers to make this hugely commercial award-winning record and instead said, no, I'm going to go back to my own self and do something for me. And I think she did everything apart from the final drum takes or something. Um, but, and, and who the fuck, I mean, it's just such a good song. You can't, you can't listen to this record and not love that track. Yeah. I mean, I was in my notes. I just had to write down the line. I'm not like other girls who can't straighten my curls. <laughs> yeah. Hello. The delivery on that as well, yeah. And there's a lot, and there's also there's a lot of confidence to do what, what yes. she did with this album because some people, if it had backfired, very good then point. The annal, and the annals of history would be like, oh, she sabotaged her career. Yeah. What was she mm. doing? Blah 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 blah. Well, she's got history and for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, there's a track that's just seagulls. <laughs> About one minute of seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> um, weirdly, for me, the album cover. In my head, this album cover was existed in the nineties. This yeah, was, you know, cool. this, I, I put it with the dries yeah. and the whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it looks like rid of me. It, it does. does. It yeah. Do, yeah, it really does. It really does. So when I was looking at, oh, this is, oh, this is way yeah. later than I. Oh. But, I wonder. But the yeah, I wonder now on reflection. I never thought of this before, but whether it was kind of a tactical thing in her mind, it's almost like a taster of everything that she's done before. So then, mm. well, not everything, but you know, a selection of some of the bits. PJ Harvey sampler. Yeah, and then yeah. she's like, "Okay, you've come into this award-winning record. Let me show you my wares. There are some other things yeah. you might be interested in, um, and they <laughs> exist in this record." Because uh, yeah, I just think there's a lot of dry in this record. I think, and I, I love that I'm yeah. ready yeah. but I do totally get your point you that it does with that in mind having like who the fuck and then dry next to each other like, that's quite jarring there's quite a lot going on yeah, mm. yeah. 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 It's, a bit, it's a bit but, but I mean I'm trying to think now of other artists that sometimes it was unsuccessful um, mm. Radiohead tried to go back to guitars a little bit yeah. with all hail to the theme mm. and they didn't really get it right on that album they sort of got it right a bit, a bit later other bands have tried to sort of heart primal scream tried to heart back to a previous yeah. sound. It was just ah, forget it, mate. Just do do your experimental stuff, knock yourself out. Mm. Um, where she she managed to do it, put it out as part of her very <laughs> tapestry of, yeah. uh, of of a discography, and move on. Um, mm. And it brought it does it does feel like okay, I've done the big success. Mm. Um, I just want to come back and. Be a bit me, yeah. because everyone. Mm -hmm. The record company is now expecting uh, stories from the beach, stories from the mountains, <laughs> and whatever it is. I think I'm, that's my I'm debut. Not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I, I'm not ready that. to do that. Um, yeah. Okay, um, we're going to move on. Uh, we are flying. Three guests is great. You fly through with three guests. <laughs> I mean, no, you should have three guests more often. Yeah, people might even listen to this one. <laughs> um. We're going to move to 2007, but before we go to the actual album, I'm going to jump to 2008. Um, in 2008, I went to the Latitude Festival. Sorry, Latitude, Latitude. Um, and one of my favorite artists, uh, Joanna Newsom, came oh, and yes. did the Sunday afternoon. Um, and then she flew off on a helicopter. Wow. Um, it was like midday. But, and this is why this is relevant to what we're going, um, a, 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 an artist who was famous for playing the harp was learning the piano for her new album. 
And so she had all these new songs and she was still learning. You could, she was making mistakes and stuff, but she, she, she'd learned the piano or improved her piano skills. I was reading when we moved to the next PJ Harvey album in 2007, she basically did, she basically taught herself the piano, right? Yeah. Yeah. She always was, it was relevant. <laughs> um, so we're in 20, 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got white chalk. Yeah. Um, a piano heavy rather than a guitar heavy album. Also, as regular listeners will know, short album. I love a short album. Short album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, uh, it's kind of a mad album. It's like, um, I mean, you know, if we were thinking that uh, her might have been a slight career sabotaging move, I think this is the real, you know, yeah. thing that nobody saw coming at all. And I think it's great. I love it. But no way I could have seen it coming and certainly not the new voice she unleashes on us all. Uh, the kind yeah. of, you know, the, the high pitch PJ Harvey, yeah. which she, she continues to use in later albums, but thankfully more mixed with other tones. <laughs> do, so, do other, are there other artists who have basically just brought out a new voice? I mean, I know there was some. Yeah, I reckon. Blurred went to a falsetto. A falsetto turned up in Blur about, about late 90s. Um, but I'm trying to think of people who suddenly went, oh, no, I also, I also have this. <laughs> but I think he sort of sits well with the idea that PJ Harvey was always trying to do something new. And she yeah. just thought, what can I do? It also t- to make herself uncomfortable. So, she, yeah. you know, she's playing an instrument she's never played before. Yeah. And she's decided she's going to sing in a new voice. Mm. And this is what comes out. It's a kind of weird horror chamber piece. It's yeah. it, Weirdly, I, 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 quite, I quite like it. I don't listen to it often, but... I've never listened to it as closely as I did preparing yeah. for this. Mm. And if you listen closely and pay attention, boy, is it harrowing. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you know, all the songs are kind of about loneliness and yearning and regret. It's, it's, it makes it a very, very tough listen, taken all in one go. Um, but uh, weirdly, and I, I mean, I say this in the introduction, is I think if you took any one of these songs and put them on another album, people would be saying, oh, I really love that one. But because it's a whole album of this kind of that takes you to this place that's really quite uncomfortable. This this was where I had to take a break. I yeah. listened I'd, I'd listened to everything either a couple a day or you know uh, day by day, and I got to this album after about three days of all PJ Harvey, all PJ Harvey all the time, and I was hard, I was listening to this. I went, no, no, I'm taking a few days off. This is this is emotional. Yeah, no, I had to have a break after this one. To be fair, yeah. but I saw her touring this, um, and she was playing on her own, so no, no band wow. or anything. Obviously, I mean the albums like that. And what's strange about the gig? Um, it was in Bristol, so I guess she was sort of playing to a home crowd in a way. It was actually quite a warm gig. It, yeah. Weirdly, she was playing these kind of really chilling songs. What venue is that, um, Nick? Do you remember? At the uh, the venue uh, previously known as Colston Hall. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! So actually, quite. Dramatic as well. With her, she's on yeah. the stage, it's a bit. So it's, a big, it's a big, yeah. big venue, but yeah. but felt like an intimate gig. Wow! And uh, is that because of the piano? Is that because of the instrument? Well, it was not just that. I mean, the fact that it was just her. I mean, raw. at that yeah. point, I'd seen her live before, mm. maybe three times, but always with a full backing band. Yeah, you know, so it's quite a different thing to suddenly see this artist playing on their own, and and again, testament to her as an artist that she could hold yeah. the whole audience mm. and like you know. I feel like you're doing a very good job here, Nick, because I really struggle with this record. But even just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh, I should give it more of a chance. Because I'm such a... It's a tough record. It is. For me, it feels a little bit 
too ethereal and it's just too like up in there and 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 there's some of that in other albums but then there's a bit of an edge or there's something that comes in that's a bit more scrappy whereas this like I mean there's elements of it that I like that then come up in a few records time and that England shake where you've got that kind of quintessentially English sound but it's yeah, um, yeah. like the harpsichord or the auto harp, maybe. I'm not the sure. Auto harp, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And oh, it's yeah, almost they, like they, a kind yeah. of Bridgerton ballroom melody and like a lute on the devil. And there's bits that I yeah. really respect and really like, but I just, it kind of, I don't know. I just kind of exist in it, but I'm not necessarily like reacting to it that much. But I, I, think, you're, I think we're allowed to have artists we adore and albums from those artists we just, yeah, it's very good, but I'm not going to listen to it. Yeah, but I feel really bad like doing that when it's so obviously because it's not a guitar record. Like I want to give it more because yeah. of that, but I don't know it's something in the melody and the I guess the new voice. Yeah, I just found it mm-hmm. hard to to grip on to I mean, the, something. The balls of someone to be able to yeah, get you know what absolutely different instruments. Yeah, and we're doing a different voice now. Yeah, can you get away with that if you're in a a band? <laughs> I mean, not like if you're like the lead singer of a very, if you've got a lot of presence mm. in that band, but if you're just like, so guys, um, so everyone, for, for, the next, for the next album, what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn the piano and I'm going to sing in a falsetto, right? Yeah. <laughs> not many bands where you'd want to listen to that, to be honest. No. <laughs> I also, I also, actually, I just realized when I was doing that, I was like, am I doing a, a Southwest accent by accident? So um, that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, lads. And let's, do all, let's do a falsetto. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, but sometimes people do. I mean, if you go back to the work of Daniel Johnston, yeah. Daniel Johnston could, was really good on the piano, but he wanted to play the guitar because yeah. that's what all the cool bands played. And he was terrible on the guitar, but the songs were still good and they, they came through. Um, and there are some bands that have changed. You're going, we're going to do this now. We're going to do this now. But the balls do it when you're a solo artist yeah. who has just essentially made it. You've yeah. got your big commercial success. Yeah. And and more importantly, you're getting to, to do creative stuff with big, famous, creative musicians across totally. the board. You're, you're now there. And now you, you come, you've, you've come back and go, right. I stripped back a bit and ha, you, th- you think the last album was a bit, okay, hold my beer. Like, <laughs> I've learned the piano. Can you play the piano? No, I'm learning the piano and I'm going to sing in a different way. Yeah. But yeah, um, I really, I liked it. I, I, I appreciate it. I can't imagine ever putting it on again um, because Fair enough. just more accessible stuff. Um, yeah. and it, just, it, it became, it, it just really over, over. Like we talked earlier on about the word taught with the yeah. previous John Parrish yeah. one. That was nothing compared to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a really tense album. This was like really sort of, uh, okay. Yeah. Can we have a, I, I think I just want a sing-along song now, please. And a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So where are we? We've got are, a John Parrish uh, collaboration well, coming up. We do and we don't. We oh, are we don't. going to, we're going to go back to some album introductions. Oh. Um, which okay. one of you is talking about a woman a man walked by? That'll be me. Well, after the next bit of music, you're going to hear Nick, and we'll all be back in a bit. In 2009, PJ Harvey released her second collaboration with John Parrish. As a frequent producer and performer on many of her albums, you could argue that most of them are collaborations with Parrish. 
But if you remember, what distinguished Dancehall at Laos Point 13 years earlier is that Parrish wrote and performed all the music, whilst Harvey wrote and sang all the lyrics. Despite this, none of the resulting tunes would sound out of place on a PJ Harvey solo album, especially the towering opening tune, Black Hearted Love. But if that opener led you to believe you were in for an easy ride, it's followed by 16, 15, 14, the most sinister game of hide and seek you'll ever hear a song about. On the chorus to uh, Leaving California, the white chalk vocals are back and the line Oh England Come Soon points the way towards her next album, suggesting she's already exploring certain themes, but not nearly as much as in The Soldier, which is narrated from the point of view of an enlisted person entering the 39th parallel. It also includes the line, It's the year when some poet said, we must live or accept the consequences. An allusion to Auden's poem, September the 1st, 1939, which famously includes the line, we must love each other or die. The chair is this album's oddity, frequently sounding like two songs playing at once, or maybe even three. Like Laos Point, it's at times an uncomfortable listen, but Harvey still sounds at the top of her game. One hopes that by 2009, PJ Harvey had earned enough goodwill from Ireland for them not to begrudge her another experimental side project. If they did, and next album surely more than made up for it. Production for PJ Harvey's eighth studio album began around the time of White Chalk's release in 2007. But Let England Shake sounds a world apart from those introspective piano confessions. Written over a two-and-a-half-year period, Let England Shake was recorded in five weeks live, a common theme for a lot of her work, at a church back in her home county of Dorset in the spring of 2010, alongside long-time collaborators John Parrish and Mick Harvey, and with co-production duties from British post-punk record producer and audio engineer Flood. During some solo shows before working on this record, Harvey had begun playing the auto harp, explaining to her local Bridport News how she felt it was like having an entire orchestra at your fingertips. Continuing her commitment to avoid repeating herself as an artist then, unabashedly aiming for each record to be different in some way to the last, Let England Shake is a rollicking folk-influenced album that alluded to the battles of World War I as part of a complex portrait of her relationship to her homeland. This is a record about war, but not specifically Anzac Cove, Afghanistan or Iraq. Instead, it's a record that ventures deep into the heart of the darkness of war itself and its resonance throughout England's past, present and future. Of the release, Mike Williams of NME wrote, Francis Ford Coppola can lay claim to the war movie, Ernest Hemingway, the war novel. Polly Jean Harvey, a 41-year-old from Dorset, has claimed the war album. Adding to Harvey's multi-dimensional artistic output, the songwriter was also compelled after seeing Seamus Murphy's A Darkness Visible exhibition in London 2008 to contact the award-winning Irish photographer about his experiences of working in Afghanistan, Sierra Leone, Gaza and Lebanon. The collaboration grew with Murphy taking a series of promotional photographs, the PJ Harvey portraits, in the summer of 2010 before filming accompanying videos for each song on the album which were completed in early 2011. That summer, 12 films were screened for the first time at several UK festivals. Let England Shake was Harvey's second album to reach the top 10 and the first in 18 years since Rid of Me peaked at number three in May 1993 and bagged a songwriter another Mercury Prize, marking a huge musical milestone and positioning Polly Jean Harvey as the only artist to have won the Mercury Prize Award on more than one occasion with this and Stories from the City. In an oddly parallel manner, though, 
Those two records aren't just tied together by their award-winning accolades, but by a war that had continued for over two decades since both albums were recorded. Let England Shake is a defining moment in sound, sorrow and sentiment, lacing together social issues with the vividness of Billie Holiday's harrowing Strange Fruit, as Polly Jean paints soldiers falling like lumps of meat and arms and legs in the trees. In the single, The Words That Maketh Murder. Once again, the staggering songwriter taps into the zeitgeist of the time, the frustrations of a war that was triggered by the September 11 attacks the very same day she was claiming her first Mercury Prize. Five years passed before the Hope 6 demolition project in 2016, P.G. Harvey's follow-up to the Mercury-winning Let England Shake. The songs were written during Harvey's travel with the photographer Seamus Murphy, where she visited Kosovo, Afghanistan and Washington, D.C. The recordings took place as an art installation at Somerset House in London, where members of the public could go and watch the process through a pane of one-way glass. The title, Hope 6 Demolition Project, refers to a policy of demolishing rundown housing in deprived areas in order to build better homes, often with the consequence that the original residents could no longer afford to live there. This is explicitly referenced in the opening track Community of Hope, and her observations drew direct criticism from local politicians. In the most damning attack, one politician stated that PJ Harvey is to music what Piers Morgan is to cable news. Oof. And while I couldn't disagree more with this assessment, some of the lyrics do feel a little clumsy. I'm quoting here, and the school just looks like a shithole. Does that look like a nice place? And then the closing refrain of, they're going to put a Walmart here, I heard. All of which seems like unfiltered thoughts with none of the poetic turn of phrase to which we've become accustomed. So much so that one can't help but feel that she deliberately chose to phrase the lyrics this way. I'm still not convinced it works, but I have enough goodwill towards PJ Harvey to overlook it. Many others do not. I didn't warm to this album immediately on release, and have listened to it little in the intervening years. Returning to it now, some six years later, I found it unexpectedly graceful, showing that this one maybe just needed a little more time to bed in. One takeaway from the immersion process this time around will be to spend more time with the Hope 6 demolition project. In 2022, we're long overdue a new PJ Harvey album. At the time of recording, her next release is Orlam, a narrative poem, a development that seems entirely natural. In fact, it's her second book of poetry. But how long will he have to wait for another album? Surely there will be another. Or, given the extraordinary body of work we already have to enjoy, maybe I'm just being greedy. Hello there, welcome to the final part of our two-part look at the discography of Polly Jean Harvey with Nick. Hello. And Shuri. Hello there. Um, so, well, you gave a bit of a spoiler um, about what we're gonna what we're gonna cover next, Nick. Just before the just before the break, um, we've already looked at one of the John Parrish collaborations uh, in a previous episode, and this was another one, right? Yeah. So, thirteen years later, she does uh, a woman and a man walk by with John Parrish, and it's the same deal. Basically, he wrote all the music, performed all the music, and she wrote the lyrics and sang them. Um, and, 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 and was it the same kind? We, we talked on the previous episode about how the last one was very tense and very taut, like the, like the, like the song. Um, 
Was this a similar in places? Probably not as tense, but certainly still very experimental. Uh, certainly some quite jarring tracks. Uh, for example, the track with Chair sounds like about three or four tracks all happening at once. Yeah. Um, not in a good way. But um, yeah, so the, the opening track, uh, Black Hearted Love, actually sounds like, I don't know, it could be something off Stories from the City. It's like actually quite a big indie number. It really does. And, yeah. and on that, on that track, uh, they deserve a massive award because I have never, I can't remember another music video which has a bouncy castle in it. <laughs> oh, really? I don't think I've seen is, the music video. Is Peter, is Polly bouncing up and down in slow motion, singing along on, in a bouncy castle in the woods. And like, and I'm not saying like in a, the woods. Extravagant, not an extravagant bouncy castle, like a kid's bouncy castle. Uh huh. I, I didn't know there were any other kind, but um, no. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it could have been all sort of, oh, let's let's get one made up for the video. Yeah, what um, would a no, Bouncy Castle look like if it was on PG Harvey was on? It'd be all kind of... Depends on the album. Gothic. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, White Chalk, it'd just okay. be an old mattress. It's <laughs> <laughs> stripped back, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Shuri, how did you find this one? Um, on yeah. the previous album, we you had issues, well, not issues, but you, you struggled um, with the previous one compared to some of the other albums. Yeah. How is this, this parish? I feel like it sits side by side with the other parish, you know, dance hall. I, I, there's similarities there. Again, we've talked a lot about Beefheart. I feel like he's very much there um, when she's kind of screaming, stick it up your fucking ass, like that that kind of era. Um, but, but I like, you know, I liked it because it kind of reminded me of that arresting righteousness of, um, uh, her, her with perhaps like a bit more precision of where she's angling it. Um, and, and as you said, Nick, I feel like there's a, a few tracks where there's a multiple ideas going on. So is it, um, that same track, the crow knows where all the children go. The end section almost sounds like a kind of wartime 1940s jazz horns. There's like these shuffling drums that sound a bit like a New Orleans train. And yeah. I was really into that. I'm, I'm, yeah, that kind of experimental mix of sounds um, I love. But I completely agree that there's there's definitely that opener track that mm. that lures you into a false sense of security that like yeah. this is kind of your standard indie chug and then it goes uh-huh. completely bonkers after that but no i really i i really enjoyed it again like i said i hadn't listened to either of the the parish collabs and i thought they were both mm. really good really interesting yeah. yeah like i said the previous one i i didn't even know i mean i didn't know they existed um in any way shape or form i mean did they were they successful I mean, I don't really know. Um, I I think I read somewhere that everyone kind of considered it just this like oddball side project that they both did alongside. It feels like a for the fans only kind of record. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I I mean, I'm I'm excited if there's a new PJ Harvey and John Parrish collaboration, but I can understand why, you know, people maybe consider them non canonical. Yeah. And but the kind of in- go on, go Nick. I just think the kind of interesting you you can sort of hear are working out ideas on them because Mm. I think. There's a, there's a few things on this record that do, do point towards uh, Let England Shake. It's a track called The Soldier, yes. which is narrated from the point of view of a soldier. And um, so, so, you know, it's kind of very much hinting at what's to come. That's really interesting, yeah. Well, that's, you get that a lot with, with, with a lot of artists, particularly over time. There'll be a, when you look back, yeah. you'll realise there was one track in a previous album that that means that what you thought was totally out of the blue when there's a big change. You go, oh, no, but they, oh, no, they did a bit of that before. That was, that was sort of coming through. Um, 
All right, I'm conscious we're flying through at the moment, so feel free to slow us down. Um, we're going back to, we've already mentioned it. Um, we're going back to PJ Harvey's second Mercury Prize um, with Let England Shake, um, which is also the, for, for somebody as myself who went, I don't really know PJ Harvey. I've seen her live twice at festivals. I mean, I saw her at Primavera Sound round when, what was the instrument? What's the instrument again? Auto harp. Auto harp, yeah. Auto harp mm. with her auto harp um, late late at night on a balmy Barcelona evening round about the time that this came out. Um, you sometimes you get an album that is just that takes an artist from being exceptional, very good, very well liked to. My God, this is fucking good. Jesus yeah. Christ. Mm. This, this is one of those albums that stands um, sh- shoulders above the rest of the very good stuff that she's done. It might not be people's favorite, but yeah. in terms of a, a seminal, important yeah. piece of, I'm really sorry for art, <laughs> that can be that can be. I'm not uncomfortable with that, Ewan. It's, that's exactly the right word. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, my wife is probably in another room rolling her eyes by uh, at me saying things like that. Bear in mind, every time we, we drive down to the coast every weekend, uh, I go and play paddle tennis. And usually at some point, um, I get I have a few beers afterwards and we sit in the car and I put music on and I get a bit teary about how good stuff it is. Yeah. And so me going, it's just, I can feel her responding in a different room. Um, but it's, this is it's a safe space I mean, this is, for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, she's going political. Mm. Um, uh, I saw the word pseudo Victorian mm. <laughs> in one of the in one of the reviews. Um, there's a new look with the sort of feathers, the feathers hair yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know what the word is for those. Um, there's a new look. There's a new sound. Um, there's a big theme. Um, it's pushing boundaries. It wins. Um, it wins her the Mercury Prize for the second time, and to this day, she's only she's only double winner, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I it's, it's exceptional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'm just basically agreeing with what you said in this in the sense I sort of see this as being peak Harvey without necessarily yeah. being my favorite album. I mean, I love it. It's 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 great to listen to, but it's not wouldn't be the one I go to if I think I want to listen to some PJ Harvey right now. Mm. Um, and I would say there's one thing on it that really irks me every time I hear it. And, and I'm hoping I'm not going to spoil the record for you as well. But you know the bit in, um, what's the, I think it's called uh, The Glorious Land. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the trumpets come in, the yeah. kind of, uh, right? The, it always sounds to me like somebody forgot to turn their phone off in the studio and that's just a ringtone. <laughs> every time I hear it, I just think that somebody, just turn your fucking phone of off, that you're ruining the song. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't fit. Oh, I've read other reviews that say that's great. It's a really great bit. And someone's like, no, it doesn't fit. It, it, it annoys me every time. Oh, to me, I wish it, it sounds like the hunt is beginning with the beagles or something. Like mm. it's, yeah, really positions me. In, like, I'm sure that's what she was going for. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, I can finally flex the fact, I should have said this earlier, that I did see her, I must have been for stories um, era, but I saw her in Cambridge and I was sat down and I was upstairs and it just was not what I was hoping for because I wanted to be at the front, stood up in the pit. Mm-hmm. But I did see her again for this album tour um, at Brixton. 
which I okay. will commend that venue because wherever you stand, you can see really, really well. And her yeah. band at this and point... The sa- and the sound. The sound, the sound is, if you yeah. stand just before the, um, the sound guy. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so good. Um, it was amazing. And the toilets are easy to get to. Sorry. Well, depending on, <laughs> depending on which side man. you are. Depending on which side you are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought her band were incredible. I love, love, love the um, again it brings back the rob ellis like the dual vocals i love mm. like the words that make of murder i just yeah. love that song yeah. and I, yeah. I really enjoy her voice next to the kind of almost sort of like uh methodical mantras that they're singing it works yeah. so well for me and it's so rich in imagery i made that mm. um reference to like billy, billy holiday in the intro but yeah there's mm. there's some quite harrowing visual ideas that she's bringing to yeah. life but she does it so poetically yeah i mean and, and it's an, i mean if you went so i've come back with a new album oh okay pj um <laughs> pj okay polly um what is it is it is it about is it a breakup album again is it like a, a guitar one is it a strip? no it's about world war one yeah uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there's also things on it that on paper shouldn't work like there's the track that's built around a kind of reggae sample yeah. sold by 90D Observer, yeah. Um, yeah, Blood and Fire. And it's brilliant. Yeah. And there's the other one with Kurdish singing in the background all the way through. And again, it works. Yeah. I think also because it treads a fine line, doesn't it? Because it's so patriotic as a record. And if you, mm-hmm. if this album was like a person, it might be a bit like a bit national fronty. I'd be like, Oh, I don't know if I like that. But he's like very keen on England. He's like got a flying English flag in his garden, but it really, I don't know. She taps into it in a way that feels just so, um, quintessential again, I guess. And yeah. I mean, I've never, thought of it as a patriotic album. I, mean, I feel it's, it's an album exploring the idea of Englishness and what it yeah. means to her, yeah. which I think she was doing in a kind of much more, in a much smaller way on, on White Chalk, where she was sort of, it was very much True. about Dorset and where she was from. And mm. then this has taken it to a bigger level. But I just but think if you me, took that English idea and put that with another back, that could go very wrong. Being like, we're going to write yeah. a record about being English. Totally. And, and there's lots of things on there that, you know, she'd never really done before yeah. as well. But, you know, you know, so but I think a pretty bold it, album and it, it could have is. fallen flat on its face. Totally. On, totally. That Eng- on that English thing, I think, and we talked about this on, on, on the aforementioned uh, Britpop episode, um, there was only a couple of years between Morrissey with a Union Jack for the first time, everyone going, oh, Morrissey, and Britpop all suddenly wearing Union Jacks mm. um, before, everybody, before everybody just, you know, went yeah. like, well, maybe we can. Yeah, yeah, it's because okay. we had a shiny new Labour government. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking back through hindsight, um, if somebody, when somebody is is inspired enough to make an album about being English and also through war, and while there's ah, there were tough times. Twenty eleven, God, twenty eleven seemed like mm. glorious days. It was so it nice and quiet and peaceful. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 an astound it's astounding. It got universal acclaim. I was reading that after it, she won the award, the Mercury. Uh, the sales tripled a thousand percent overnight. Wow! wow. Yeah. yeah, and it's just. It's I one remember of those being really surprised that she did win it again, even though I loved the record and I'm constantly rooting for her. I just I didn't imagine that the Mercury would pick an artist that they'd already given an award to. Yeah. I remember being yeah. like, "Amazing! That's so cool that she's done it twice." Mm-hmm. 
I'm now obviously doing that thing where I, I quickly look to see who she's up against, who she was up against that year. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. So, Go on, so where were we? Um, well, elbow again, Anna Calvi, oh, the wow, okay. Anna Calvi, um, and Adele. Oh, wow. Adele's, t- 20, Adele's 21. I think that's oh, maybe that what it a... was, that I kind of assumed they would go with like a new newcomer yeah. almost. And I yeah. remember thinking yeah. it was awesome that they'd gone with her. But also, there is a thing. I know they say on the Mercury Prize that it's, oh, no, no, it's based on the music. And mm. You can't predict it. For about seven years running, even if I hadn't listened to them, I was able, you, you could predict them. You know, no, yeah. they've done indie two times in the back. This, this one's going to be a, a dancey one. Or they haven't had a, a guitar-based one for three or four years. We're going to go guitar. And you could sort of predict it a bit. The year after this was Alt-J. So right. we had XX the year before. And it's like, okay, there, this is different. We're doing something different. Um, but this is one of those albums that has to win. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, 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 too good not, it's too good not to win. But it's a massive yeah. outlier when you put it in those rankings that you've just said. It is a real <laughs> weird choice. Obviously, it's we, challenging. It's yeah. but also it's because the whole thing like you know we where we, you have to question what is the award about? Yes, why you know and so for example, um, I can't remember, so in 2016, one of the nominees was uh, David Bowie's Black Star, mm. which is a great album. But it, what, would be, what would be the point? Yeah, because you, you sort of feel like the Mercury's kind of feels like it should be about supporting newer artists. Yeah, um, but if they're nominated, if a band is nominated. They should be able to win, regardless of whether or not. Yeah, like, um, but it depends what the you know what the criteria are, and I do like, why are you like, giving the award exactly. And I feel like that evolution has changed massively since it started in the nineties, because yeah. it felt more like the nineties era was very much a celebration of what's going on now, what people are into shining a light on those like beacons, moving that forward. And I definitely agree. Like now, it feels more like who are the newcomers? Who are we? giving a leg up into the industry type. Yeah. I'm slightly yeah. more cynical on this. Yeah. I think that the last 10 years of Mercury Prize winners has been less about how good the, the record is and more, what does this say about the Mercury Prize? I think there's an, there's, there's an element of self-promotion. Of, look, 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 mm. we've done some grime. Two years of grime, <laughs> check us out. You know, and I think the token jazz record never, ever wins. It's always, yeah. it's always token, token jazz should be a category in the record shop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've got this. I think the Mercury Prize is getting a little bit self showy. Mm. Um, although it used to be good fun watching it. I know. Uh, and I still, I still think Arctic Monkeys have the best acceptance line. Someone called the police. Richard Hawley's been robbed. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because <laughs> <laughs> Richard Hawley was up for it and they walked up and they'd won. And they went, someone called police, Richard Hawley's been robbed. Oh, that's like, really sweet. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, I mean, if you're listening to this and, you, and, and, and you're working your way through, which is what we encourage, uh, working your way through the, uh, the PJ Harvey discography, hopefully you'll agree with us that this is, a, this is an important record, yeah. even if it's not your, your favourite one so far. Mm-hmm. So, um, after... Holly won the Mercury Prize and achieved universal, almost universal acclaim for uh, stories from the city, stories from the sea. She, she sort of rebelled against that and came back with something totally different. And um, how did she was, how did she follow up um, Let England Shape? Well, it's- it was about, I mean, it, the next album wasn't for another five years. So we're getting to the, the point in the career where the albums are uh, getting a little bit more spread out. Yeah. 
So it wasn't like a, an immediate follow-up. Although I read that the songs for this album were mostly written much earlier in that period, not long after Let England Shake. So she, I think it was during that time she'd met the photographer Seamus Murphy, and then she traveled to various places, things, uh, Afghanistan, Kosovo, uh, Washington, kind of. Um, so she sort of took on a role of a kind of, she, she kind of positioned herself as some kind of like singing war correspondent. Um, and I have to say at the time that Hope Six Demolition Project was released in 2016, I wasn't totally convinced by it right away. And I haven't listened to it much in the intervening years, but listening to it again now, I was thinking, this is great. What was I thinking? It was just kind of weird. It was recorded in sort of one live setting. It was recorded. So what they did, the recording was a, art installation at Somerset House in London so that basically you could go and watch them record through a oh, way glass is so Somerset House <laughs> I mean I, I totally Somerset would have gone if, I, if I'd been living in England amazing. at the time I'd have been there um, kind of interesting experimental recording process and it'd be interesting to, to know to what extent that might have affected how there is a film of this that i went to see in clerkenwell and i tried to look up like the ticket that i got at the time it's a few years ago but they screened the whole making of the um that that record in the box but then also some of the war correspondent stuff from the locations as well and that was fascinating because seamus i think recorded the session so it must have been his footage that we watched almost as a yeah. making of, which was incredible. And a huge shout out to Terry Edwards as well on sax, because I love him and I love his music making. And I think he's amazing on this record. Like the more horns and, and, and not just things, sax, we've got, we've got the auto harp back and yep. bazookies. I thought it was PJ Harvey playing the sax on this record. Terry, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. in the in the live performance, certainly, he's. Um, I guess yeah. she wrote the sax okay. parts, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently that was her original instrument before the guitar. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Um, I mean, it was a success, right? It got, it got to number. It got to number one. I think one. so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. But this, don't think, but, but this is the weird thing. If you go, we're, we're talking about someone who's been seminal, you know, for you know, twenty, thirty years. Yeah. And the previous album, um, no, like it sales, like I said, doubled, like went up a thousand percent. It went from went from something like ninety four in the chart to twenty four in the chart overnight, and that was the album that's that important. Her follow up album, her experimental arty installation album, got to number one in the UK charts, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like it's the it's like for this one. This one, <laughs> this is the one that goes in. The last one should have gone straight in the, you know, it's yeah. like the work gets done. And yeah. often it's the next one. Yeah. That yeah. You might I mean, I think, I think this good. sounds quite a lot like Let England Shake. This, this sort of yeah. atmosphere and tone of the songs is similar. Definitely. Um, and, and with the band structure and the male vocals yeah. and that, yeah, definitely. I think this got a bit more negative press because mm. I, I guess as is possibly expected when you're coming at talking about a kind of different conflict zones, but maybe not proposing a solution, mm-hmm. then it, are you putting yourself out there to be critiqued slightly because you're just sort of commenting on an ongoing issue, but then, yeah. and are you glad? I mean, she's not glamorizing it, but I can see where yeah. maybe the critics came in and said, you know, you're writing about quite horrific subjects. Yeah. Um, it was again, I guess, a, a sort of brave thing to do, and I don't yeah, think it was completely absolutely. successful. But with with Let England Shake, where it felt like um, 
I mean, I think she's writing about various wars, but mainly I think it's World War One. Yeah. It's a kind of war that from this point in history, we're kind of used to seeing through a filter of war poetry and things. And it, it's kind of a safe distance in a way, even though it's very, you know, she writes about it in a very graphic way. And then suddenly she's doing stuff that's about stuff that's happening now. Yes. Um, and that makes it a little bit, you've yeah, it makes it more uncomfortable. You've absolutely but that's, that's exactly that. what she always does is, yeah. is does stuff that makes her uncomfortable. And this is, you know, makes you as a listener uncomfortable sometimes too. Completely. You've articulated that so much better than me. That's exactly what I meant is that, yeah, she's come at it from two strains and one is, yeah, as you say, very kind of in the past reflective war poetry. And now we're looking at what's ongoing. Um, I think I said in the intros as well, it is quite dark that her two Mm. award-winning records are kind of polar sides of the Afghanistan war. Like it's, yeah, that's, Mm. Um, it's maybe not surprising that that hangs over her as a bit of a theme that she's curious yeah. by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I do, I do also think that with this, there was, she sort of harked back a bit to a previous sound. Mm. Um, the sort of the bluesy bit yeah. sort mm. of seemed to come back in it. We yes. talked earlier on about the beef arty stuff and, yeah. and you said Howling Wolf or whatnot. Yeah. There was a bit more coming back, back into this one. Um, although I do totally agree with the, how it can feel a bit weird when someone's singing about political stuff but not proposing a solution. If you imagine the, the protest songs going, uh, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> poor unions, huh? There's unions, <laughs> yeah. but not, not going yeah. one side of, of the fence. And so it does feel a little bit like tourism. Yeah, like yes. are we allowed it to does. make art out of something as a kind of voyeur almost or yeah yeah but it's, What's I, the mean, line I mean obviously we are because there were there, there yeah. were movies about yeah absolutely there were war yeah. movies but yeah. and those war movies don't necessarily always say something but are we treating hollywood cinema and um you know music mm. and music from a creative artist as they should be different yeah. is does 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 she not have the right to also yeah um, it, it, shine a light on without going, well, I've also got solutions. I might yeah. have solutions. I'm not a Whereas politician. Crit- yeah. critis- it might have been more successful as well if she'd maybe, if it had been about just one of the things, like mm. the fact that it's about, you know, it's about grinding poverty in Washington and then it's about war in yeah. Afghanistan and then it's about Kosovo. And <laughs> it, it's sort of a little difficult to see what the whole thing's about. I'm sure there is some kind of, some ideas running through all that, how those yes. things are connected, but. And for those people, you know, then does it feel just it's like a sweeping generalization if we've put all these things together? But as you said, Nick, I think you're right that it's that thing that she always strives for, which is to make us feel uncomfortable and challenge us and make Mm -hmm. us reflect on things. And and that's that's really powerful. And I will be listening to this album more now that I've gone back to it, I think. Yeah. Um, That was my in a way, possibly my biggest takeaway from doing the immersion again, uh, listening to them all was because actually the first time we did it in the Facebook group, um, this album, we, we, we timed it to finish as this album was released oh, wow. in 2016. Um, so, you know, we were listening to it completely new then. Yeah. And probably in the context of having just listened to our entire discography, I'd probably set my expectations unrealistically high. Yeah. You know, I'm saying, come on, Polly, impress me. <laughs> <laughs> and now going back, it's like, what was I thinking? This is great. Yeah. Yeah, it does make but you think I mean, as well. Like, what is next? What is next for her? Yes. Well, it's been, been a, well, six years. This year, it's, right? it's a poem, right? It wasn't this year. 
Yes, she release. That's true. I think, I don't know if it's come out yet. It's, it's imminent. Maybe it'll be out by the time this podcast is out because I think it is summer out very soon. Okay. Uh huh. It's called All Out. Um, it's not even her first dalliance. No, it's no, it's a second book poetry, of poetry. Right? She's, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, okay. And it, no, sorry, Nick. No, I was just say it, it doesn't feel odd that she would do that. Yeah. I mean, their lyrics have always been very literary. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. But that said, I'm hoping that's not, you know, that she's just she PJ Harvey, the poet the now. Guitar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I find it hard to think she has. Definitely. There's Although it's, be more. it's kind of um, strange to see her build on festivals this summer, just in the spoken word tent. But, oh, but, right. but great. But equally, I'm yeah. like, please. Oh, you are not going to be able to get into those tents. Oh, yeah. There is no, people are going to be spilled out. Just go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've always loved spoken word. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Huge spoken word buff. Um, okay, this is probably a perfect time to wrap up. We have looked at the work of Polly Jean Harvey from 1992 up until, well, the present day-ish with a couple of collaborations. Um, there had been some significant shifts in style, but... I don't know. I think we all agree that she challenged yeah. and she never, she was never, there was never a pedestrian release in there. Even if it was ones that we thought, oh, it's a bit too atmospheric for me, or this is not the, the Polly Harvey I prefer. Um, for me, I, I, I knew about two albums properly, but I, I knew about, I knew the singles. And so this was quite interesting to go through the journey from start to finish. Although so it could be intense. Quite, yeah. It was. It got like yeah. I say. It got really difficult. Round <laughs> about <laughs> album eight or something. I just go no, no. I, I've got. Yeah. I mean, I've had the thirty years one, for these albums to bed in. <laughs> the only other one that that had this that was similar. I mean, and I know that I should you know not cram everything at the last minute, but I you know tend to cram everything at the last minute. Was when we did Bjork. Yeah. And I was about four. There was about four albums back. I went, oh, I don't. I just don't know what's happening. Oh, yeah. I can't work out. I can't work this out. It's a, you do need to digest. Yeah, totally. It's a peril of the process. I mean, I certainly felt that with Bjork too. That, that I, I'm sure there's more to those last few albums than I was getting out of them. But I, I just had Bjork fatigue. But then I don't get PJ Harvey fatigue. Oh no! I'll, I could listen to another ten albums by her. Well, See also the All right. and Captain Beefheart. Um, well, it has been absolutely fantastic having you on, Sheree. And also, only having one guest means that my editing process should be lovely. Tidy. Sheree, thank you very much for coming back. My pleasure. Thank you for welcoming me. I hope we have done her justice. I really do. Absolutely. Well, there'll be somebody on the internet going, oh, <laughs> Usually, oh I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> often we do get we do get we do get comments occasionally and often it's things like, was that idiot not like so and so for? I'm usually that idiot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's 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 why I'm here. Uh, Nick, it's good to see you again. Yeah, good to be here. Cheers. And and you too, listener. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that as much as me, and even if you didn't, thank you for listening. We were joined by writer, broadcaster, and pop fan Sharia Moore, and as always, we are hugely grateful for her enthusiastic contributions to the show. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram, where she's known as The Divine Hammer. You can probably find us on all the socials, too, by searching for temporary fandoms. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's Ewan. You'll just have to take your chances. 
And speaking of Ewan, this is the bit where I usually thank him for tirelessly slogging away at the podcast, making sure that we get you new shows every single month. Cheers, Ewan. And thank you also to Jonathan for writing us such a striking theme tune. That's it for PJ Harvey, at least until she releases something new, when we'll probably record a top-up episode, as we recently did with Spoon's new release, Lucifer on the Sofa. There are rumours of a new ESG album later this year too, so we'll have to lure Cherie back to talk about that when it drops, given that she's writing the book about the band. We'll be back with another artist soon, and feel free to make suggestions on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, as we're always open to new ideas. Until then, I'm Nick Hilditch, and I'm not trying to break your heart, I'm just trying not to fall apart. <laughs>